0: I'm gonna spend an extra minute trying to decipher what this says. It's I actually broke this down where I took a couple of my posts side by side that literally look exactly the same from top to bottom and get wildly different engagement. And when you break it down, one's boring and the other one is more enticing. It's it you're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And
1: I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fans. Prepare to turn the f*** up. Hey everybody. Today we have a LinkedIn legend on the podcast, Justin Welch. Justin is a sales leader that has built SaaS companies to over 50 million in ARR. He is also a thought leader that has amassed over 70K followers on LinkedIn. On today's episode, we talked about how to grow your audience on LinkedIn, why is it important, and how to do it. Hope you enjoy. Hey, what's up, Justin? Daniel, how are you, man? Great to, uh, great to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to finally connect. I've been following your journey on LinkedIn for a while and you've been putting out fire and you're kind of like the go-to person to watch on LinkedIn these days. So excited to get into the chat. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I want to dive into it and say like a little bit about your background and then how did you get into like building a personal brand?
0: My background was I was kind of a meandering crappy salesperson for about six years coming out of college. I didn't do very well. Tried to sell stuff in the pharma and med device space and got fired a bunch of times. And at 29, I was what you might consider just a kind of a failure to, for lack of a you know, better description. But I came across a job description in New York City. I was living in all these tiny towns for a company called ZocDoc back in 2009, and they were hiring their second salesperson. I went to New York City on a bus and interviewed well and landed this job. And Started a new journey for me. I uh, it was kind of the perfect intersection of like great, great company, awesome product, incredible city, and just my own maturity. And the next five years of that company were huge. Moved up through the leadership ranks, ended up reporting to the CEO doing special projects before I left, and then spent the last five years at a company in LA called Patient Pop. I was hired on as the VP of sales back in 2015, it was pre-revenue. Took it from its first dollar in revenue to about 50 million in recurring in just four and a half years. Then 18 months ago, I, I went out on my own and started advising other SaaS companies. And where LinkedIn really came into play and in, in building my brand was when I knew I was gonna step down from my role, I had this hypothesis that in order to do that effectively, I was gonna need some attention. And so I treated LinkedIn as a place where I could just generate attention. And people like cringe when they hear you describe it as attention, but that's really what it is. Like when you're posting online, you're you're trying to get attention and you're trying to get people to look at your stuff. And so I felt like that would be a great way to potentially build a business or build an audience, and I sucked at it at first, but finally f- kind of figured it out after six or eight months, and the last 12 months or 24 months have been really, really successful for me.
1: Oh, what is what was the difference of you like starting the personal brand, being in a company versus like being by yourself and kind of, as a brand? Because I'm interested because like, there's a struggle with a lot of personal brand, like I'm in a company, how do I build this personal brand versus like? These, all these entrepreneurs who have their personal brand, which they can say whatever they want because it's their brand.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. I think what was really helpful for me was I set the expectation with my executive team that I wanted to build a brand. That was, I set that expectation up front, And I think a lot of people forget to do that at their companies. And so if I could give anyone a piece of advice, it would be to set that expectation and talk through why that's important to you. I think for me, I've always lived under the idea that I own my social media and the company that I work for doesn't. And I also own my time outside of the nine to five workday. So when I was employed, I spent earlier mornings on LinkedIn and I spent my evenings there, you know, trying to generate more content, uh, connect with my audience. It was hard and you didn't have all, all the time to, to interact and you had to be careful with what you say and you try and keep it related to your industry the difference being a solopreneur is that I can talk about whatever I want. And so that to me has been much more freeing. The obligation, you know, can be, I can do it at nine o'clock in in the AM if I want. And so it's much more freeing as a solopreneur, but it can be done as an employed person, as long as you set the right expectation and manage it effectively.
1: I think that's a good point. A lot of people don't set that expectation up front and saying, like, to the employer, like, hey, I'm going to be doing this and I'm not going to be doing this on work hours. Like, I'm doing it on my own time. Like, could you, and are you okay with this? I think that's a, a key. I'm interested like, how you took your, your like expertise in like branding and sales and translated that to your personal brand. Like, what techniques have you used that you learned, like building brands to building yourself?
0: Yeah. So I think the thing that I brought the most was like a systematized process. When you're building a huge sales engine, I had 140 people on my team and we were growing like wildfire. In order to do that, you have to have systems and processes in place that really work very well. And so when I see people building a personal brand, they're kind of winging it sometimes, right? One day they're talking about one thing, the next day it's a new topic, different times, they miss a bunch of days. For me, I approach branding in a very systematized way, the same way that I did building a sales organization. I have a structure for creating content. I have a calendar. I have a time. I have a system. There are specific places that I drive people to try and create conversion rates, I just took all that stuff that I had on the sales organization and brought it over to branding because I think it really applies. You know, if you can use systems and processes in your personal branding, then you are much better set up to be successful and to be consistent than if you're kind of quote unquote, winging it. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. I'm interested how you plan the system of like giving value, which is a specific word people use, but giving value. Versus like selling, like, how do you like Mm -hmm. mix those two qualities into your, your personal brand?
0: Yeah. I just, it's like give, 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 ask it's 80, 20, I think is, is the way that I think about it. And I try and 80% of the time be adding value, teaching someone something, giving people step by step instructions, sharing valuable learnings about my journey. And then 20% of the time asking them to participate in something. And that ask could be a lot of different things. It can be to listen to a podcast. It could be to join my email list, it be to buy a digital product that I created. And I think what you need to be really careful with is if you ask someone to join your email list, that ask is now used up and you have to wait until you make another ask if you want someone to buy a product. And so I've always erred on the side of caution when it comes to value, just saying, if i can produce value even 90 95% of the time and only ask 5 or 10% the the more value you provide the the more conversion rate you get on your ask and so i haven't promoted i don't think anything in the last maybe 2 or 3 months kind of saving up my ask budget if you will
1: yeah i mean that's like a like the reciprocity bucket that you like need to build up i mean Gary V is really good at this too. Like he he knows when to like input that specific ask when, and he uses it in a strategic way. It's not like that's also a good point too. It's like be strategic with your ask. Like if you're gonna ask for something like join my email list, be prepared to not get very good conversions on something else in a week if you're gonna do it again. So one thing I want to also dive into is like. Your content strategy, like how do you think of new pieces of content? And then how do you like go on like creating it?
0: So I have this really big system for
1: content creation.
0: And I'll be happy to walk through it sort of from top to bottom, which is I start with something called a mantra. And a mantra is like the thing that I believe in. And the mantra for me is the future belongs to those who build online. I believe that if you don't own a slice of the internet, in the next 10 years even a small corner of the internet somewhere you're at a significant disadvantage i think those folks who do or own a small piece of the internet will be in a really good place and so that's my mantra it starts there the future belongs to those who build online and so once i have my mantra i try and think of what are all the things that someone needs to get right if they want to build something online and so i think about those things and the things that i came up with was they need an idea they need an audience they need proof of their expertise or success, and they need a product and so my pillars are idea, audience, proof and product. so I have four pillars underneath my mantra, and then on each pillar, I have three strong opinions and so as I think about what I truly believe in deep inside, and I have strong opinions on the way things should be, I write those opinions down and I attach them to a pillar so at the end of the day, I have four pillars times three strong opinions I've got. 12 strong opinions and then across the top of my matrix I write out content structures so a structure might be an observation a step by step a teardown a listicle there are a million different structures that you can put content into and then every saturday morning over a cup of coffee I sort of just match them up right take a strong opinion match it up with a structure take another strong opinion match it up with another structure What that does is it gets my brain moving. I hate writing on a blank piece of paper and staring at a a blank white piece of paper and thinking, what am I going to write today? That at least gets my brain pumping and I can start creating content more quickly. And I usually create five to seven pieces of content each Saturday morning. And I load them into my buffer so that I'm not under the gun every morning.
1: That is definitely a process. Like, I would not say like mine is that neat. Mine is definitely like, I... Have a bunch of notes in my phone. I kind of actively listen to what topics are happening. And then I'm like, oh, this attaches to like the the actively listening in the community. I'm gonna post it. But it still sticks to my like niche. Like I never like move away from like marketing or like believing that like psychology is like the like the way to in marketing is the way to go. Like understand your customers is the way to go. I never go away from those things, but it always Mine's very sporadic, so I need to dive into something like more structured than that. That's pretty cool. It's neat because the true, like,
0: I think if you look at great content creators, and by the way, I don't consider myself to be a great content creator. There are people who create such better content, but what you'll notice about them is they've figured out this way to say the same thing a hundred different ways. And if you can learn how to say 10 things a hundred different ways, you've got a thousand pieces of content. And to me, like, that's where I try and get is where I can be sharing familiar ideas, familiar concepts that I'm comfortable with in just different formats and styles that the audience doesn't get bored, you know, by the way that I'm writing.
1: That's a good point. I was listening to actually a Clubhouse episode where they said, like, the best speakers, like, just memorize like the same story, but just tell it a little differently every single time. Like if you listen to like the top speakers out there, that come up with the same story. Like every different speech, so every speech they don't have to come up and memorize a new, different thing every single time. Which is kind of the same as content creation. It's like you stick to like the stuff you know, and then you just kind of simplify it in different ways so people can consume it. That's that's awesome. Would you have started your personal brand earlier, if you knew what you knew now, like, do you wish you like started like coming out of college or like, even like at ZocDoc, like, do you wish you started it earlier? I
0: think the earlier I started, the would have been better. I just, it didn't really exist. Like I'm, I'll be 40 this year. So I'm, you know, when I came out of college and it was 2003, I don't even know if LinkedIn existed in 2003. I don't believe Twitter did. So there wasn't like it wasn't, it wasn't really a thing, right? Like YouTube was new when I was in college. And so people weren't even using it to build brands. It was like you uploaded like wacky videos, right? And so I think it started to really become a thing when Gary V started doing it. I recall when I worked at ZocDoc and I reported to our CEO, Gary Vee was on my client list. And so I had to try and reach him. He was on my prospect list to sell him a service. And uh, I can recall reaching out to him and not knowing who he was, and trying to get a hold of him when I looked him up, I said, Oh, this is interesting. This guy's got like this huge thing that he's doing, but that was still foreign to me. So sure. I would have liked to start like 2011, 2012, 2013, but I wasn't mature enough. I, I, I wasn't thinking about those types of things. And I I don't know that the platforms were, you know, as evolved as they are today, obviously, but sure. I wish I would have (laughs) maybe even started two years earlier. It would have been greater.
1: I always tell, like, people coming out of college, like, this is the time to start it. Like, maybe, like, when I was in college, it wasn't as big of a thing, but it's still, like, building online, like, is such it teaches you so many different skill sets, which is awesome as well. Like, mm-hmm. you have to learn branding, you have to learn copywriting, you have to learn, like, systems and processes, like, you're doing. Like, there's so much that goes into it that people don't realize what was like the difference in like strategy you had going from like your first like 10,000 to like after that 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 mode cuz I think like the first like one to 10,000 is like definitely like the hardest to like hit and then the growth starts happening. So like what was the difference in strategy when you just started?
0: Yeah, it was like dopamine versus intention. So When I first started to write content, I wasn't getting a lot of engagement on my content and I was like frustrated. I wrote one piece of content in 2018, like maybe mid 2018 and it got nothing. And so I was embarrassed. And so I stopped. I just stopped for four months after my first attempt. And then I started trying again in October and I was going for dopamine. So I was going for like stories, motivation, like the stuff that, you know, people will click on and like, and, you know, comment and things like that. So like telling long winded, really long form content stories. And so I was getting some good content or uh, some good engagement, but most of it was like all about dopamine. There was no really intention of what I was doing. And then as I started to approach like 20, 30, I thought that what I would do would be use my audience to sell sales courses, like a lot of sales leaders do. And I was sitting down with Kevin Dorsey having lunch and he was like, Everyone's doing that. Why don't you just t- teach people how to use LinkedIn? And I was like, oh, thats I never really considered that. And so I created the LinkedIn playbook and I was like, I'm going to test this out. I'm going to test this course out and see if people will buy it. And so it gave me some intention. And so I started talking about that very specific topic every single day, instead of talking about stories and journeys and things like that. And really niching down then started to really pinpoint and focus my audience. I proved to myself that I could make an income off of that product, and so now I try and be very specific about the audience that I'm intending. Instead of going for dopamine, I go for outcome, which is you know really good engagement—people who are joining my email list, showing interest in my newsletter, or purchasing a product for
1: me. So it's gone from fun to a little bit more of a business. That's awesome. Like You have the courses too, but you also do your consulting and stuff on the side. Like, how do you like mix both of those on like LinkedIn? Cause you're, you're selling, you're kind of selling two things. Like, but obviously like yourself as, as a brand you're selling, but you're also selling courses and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. It's really difficult. I wish I didn't have those two sides of the coin.
1: Right. I like
0: My day job and the way that I make my living and pay my bills is advising SaaS companies. That's what I do for a living. What I talk about on LinkedIn is not related to that at all. It is more about my take on life, which is earning money online, generating an audience, figuring out how to live a life of more intention. And I believe you do that through automated income. And so I talk about that a lot. It's difficult. So the way that I split it up is I have different funnels for different parts of my business I'm the sales coach for Dan Martell's SaaS Academy up in Canada, which is an 85 company accelerator. And so a lot of my client comes, uh, clientele comes from them. I work with VCs. I work with 500 startups, Latin America. So a lot of my clients come through them. I have really good SEO. So a lot of my you know, advising clients come through that. And then LinkedIn to me is more about fun, the things I like to talk about, but also bringing people into that course funnel uh, and working with people who want to grow their audience, Generate extra income, live a different lifestyle. So I split it that way. It's not perfect, but it's what's working right
1: now. I mean, like, if you really have like channels that are working for your business, it's like you don't really need to like drive things on another channel if those are already working. I mean, you already have a personal brand that people know that you've done something. So it's like that makes it. Probably easier for you too. Like people know that you've grown SaaS companies. Like now you can like show that you're doing something else that's different too, um, which is pretty awesome as well.
0: Yeah, if I if I loved talking about sales, like if I liked writing sales content, my life would be a lot easier if I just wrote about building SaaS teams all the time and also coached you know these accelerator programs. But I like LinkedIn to me is an enjoyable like outlet for creativity. And so I'd much rather talk about different things, which just makes my life more confusing. But at the same time, it gives me a creative outlet, which I
1: appreciate. I mean, that's I would say like that's a lot of people's like what you kind of want to be known for on that platform. Cause for me, like I do marketing ops by day, but I never talk about marketing ops, like in my content, like my content's very like marketing specific, which is not like marketing, like simplifying marketing, which I don't ever talk about like marketing ops, which I could go deep into marketing ops, but like I enjoy more talking about like making marketing easier for people. So it's like, does it like, that's actually a really good point for like people who are on LinkedIn, like, you should do write what you're passionate about too. Like you can't just if you're not, it shows in your writing if you're not passionate about like those type of topics.
0: Totally. Like if I have to write one more piece of content about SDR to AE handoff, like I'm gonna, you know, <laughs> go away. But I'm just like so bored by that. I, I've did, I've done it for so long, and I love it. Like I love working with SaaS founders. I love executing. I love helping. But writing about it every day is not enjoyable. And so I'd much rather write about things that are enjoyable to me and then build an audience of people who also find those things enjoyable.
1: I'm interested, like, how do you like recommend like people like at SaaS companies, like sales reps or like marketers to start building their personal brand? What is like the impact to like the company for those type of people to do that?
0: Yeah, I always recommend that people don't write for their company. And the reason that I recommend that is because like companies will come to you and be like, you're, let's take patient pop for an example. Imagine you're one of my sales people at patient pop and you're writing content aimed at private practice physicians. And then a year and a half later, you quit and you go work at service Titan, right? Like your audience is now meaningless for the most part. And as you shift vertical to vertical, your audience becomes less important if you only write about what your company says. So what I recommend people do whenever they ask me about getting started is pick a topic you could talk about for 30 minutes completely unprepared and go out and write about that topic every day. If you can speak about it for 30 minutes unprepared, there are so many things inside of that topic that you can write about. So write about it, record about it, do a podcast about it, and do it consistently five times a week, three times a week. How, how, however much you can you can try and do it, and then just watch your audience because your audience will start to ask questions. They'll ask clarifying questions. How do you do X? What do you mean by Y? What would you do in my situation? And you look for those common questions, set up some calls, help people solve those things, and then once you've solved enough problems, build a product. Then you've got a product and a call, and suddenly you've got two revenue streams. You're a salesperson by day and you've got double revenue streams outside of your nine to five. That to me is a really powerful way to get started building a brand.
1: I love that too. Like I always recommend like you are more than your like job, like your personal brand lasts forever. Like your career is not going to be there forever. Like, especially that job. Like maybe if you own your own business, it'll be there forever, but still like, you should build for like what you want to be known for, not what like the company wants to be known for.
0: Yeah, because um, when, when you get laid off, your company's not going to rebuild your brand for you.
1: Exactly. That's well said. I want to go into like, what do you think separates like the good on LinkedIn from like the best on LinkedIn?
0: That's a great question. I think the the, the best on LinkedIn is you can tell there's... real authenticity behind it. I know that's like super cliche to say, but I'll, I'll try and add on to that. You can tell there's a real authenticity about it. You can tell that people are really sharing their strong, passionate opinions versus like when you can tell people are engagement baiting. I think that engagement baiting makes people feel good. Like getting a thousand likes for lack of a better description on a post. We're all human. Anyone who says they don't like when they get high engagement on their posts and dislike when they get low engagement is not being truthful. So, like, you can see when someone is baiting for engagement and it stinks. Like, I don't like that kind of content. I think the people who are doing a really good job are sharing strong opinions, being really authentic, but also make me really think about something differently, give me a new way of approaching a really difficult challenge. Share the behind the scenes of a journey that I've always wondered how someone does something. Like I love these guys and gals who are building in public, who are sharing like, I'm building a, you know, a startup in real time and sharing my entire journey on Twitter or LinkedIn. And I think that's super cool because I always want to know how those things work when you're bootstrapping and getting started. So that to me is an example of like, really high quality content. Versus like these stories that you see that people write where it's like, it's this dark and stormy night. And I was, and it's like, all right, next I'm, I'm looking for real content. Does that
1: make sense at all? Yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. I think like once in a while, I think it's good to like have failure type stories because like there's too many like success stories out there. But I do think like, I do see a lot of people who are just like posting like, inspirational stuff that you know that will get likes and comments but they're not like really providing anything that's like unique or like a value add to like the community like i think like if you're like paying attention to that person you could tell that they they put out the same type of like that content all the time and just like kind of be like uh i saw that like yes like three days ago and you posted the same exact type of like story um so yeah i think like the best creators in my opinion like for twitter for example like matthew kobach like he he takes like other inspiration from like philosophy and like turns it into like marketing style content which i think is so unique and it's like it's not like anything too different, but like, at least like it gets you thinking like, Oh, I never thought about marketing that way. Um, Like it gets you like thinking bigger than just like, Oh, I agree with that. Like that type of content. I think, I think content
0: should make someone think if all you're getting is I agree 100% in your comments. Well, then you're saying something that's 100% agreeable. Like say something interesting. It's the internet. Right. So like, vanilla, like sales is good. That, that kind of stuff is so middle of the road or like we should treat our SDRs better. Everyone thinks that no one's mm. thinking, I wish, I wish we were treating our SDRs more poorly. So like, yes, you're going to get a thousand SDRs hammering the like button when you post that content. Everyone knows that. But like, is it really that unique or interesting? Not in my opinion.
1: Sorry if you've ever written anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, like you, I mean, I started out like knowing like what content went viral. And then like now I just go into like providing being like a th- kind of like th- person to go to for like simplifying marketing advice for people. So like I, it took me time to figure out like what I even want to like talk about. But I think once you figure it out and then you have like purpose behind like what you post, like that is when you like get like a good. And also like, I truly want like every marketer to succeed. Like that's like behind my post. Like i like, I want like this to be like helpful. Like that's why I created this podcast. Like I want like people to come here and be like, Oh, I learned something today.
0: Totally. I, I have two courses. Right. And I had a choice with those courses. And one choice was to go out and price them at, Four hundred dollars, eight hundred dollars, twelve hundred dollars. Like you see a lot of courses, right? And to rent out a private plane or a private boat or some, you know, Airbnb on the beach and act like I'm, you know, rich and fancy and interesting. Like that's what a lot of people do because they want to make as much money as possible. I made fifty and ninety-nine dollar courses because I want people to be able to invest fifty dollars and go out and build an awesome LinkedIn network. It's worth so much money. I want someone to buy my course on you know building a side hustle income for ninety-nine bucks and go out and create a thousand dollars of monthly recurring revenue for their for their income for ninety-nine dollars. Like it's really cool when people take your courses or use your products or read your content and then send you an email and say, this was super beneficial, super valuable, you know, it changed the way that I think about LinkedIn or about making a little extra money to pay my cell phone bill. Like those are the cool wins, you know, that I think about I guess versus trying to be as rich as possible on LinkedIn, if that
1: makes sense. Yeah, and I think like creating a course is actually a good thing to me because I think like to be able to invest in yourself, you need to have some stake in the game. Like and like paying fifty or like ninety bucks gives you some stake in the game. Like I think the twelve hundred courses are ridiculous because like, first of all, it's like they're giving very generic advice like to a lot of people and i've seen some of these like linkedin influencers talk in rooms and um it actually scares me sometimes like the advice that they give to people but i think like what you say, like what you're doing is like the best way it's like hey i want you to succeed when i'm actually helping you succeed because like if you if you don't have any stake in the game like that's why i believe like College shouldn't cost that much, but it should have some cost to it because otherwise people are not going to, will not go and learn. Like they need to have stake in the game to learn. Like uh,
0: I have given my LinkedIn playbook to my friends for free who tell me they want to get really good at LinkedIn. And I can track how many of them have actually used it. It's basically nobody. But when I track the people who spend 50 bucks and buy it and go through it, like literally 60% of people get through it. And that's, that's pretty high for a course, you believe it or not. Most people never get through the courses they buy. And so you're right. I think that a you know, mix of affordability and skin in the game is really important. And I wanted to make sure that if someone was just graduating college, they could afford it and start
1: off on the right foot. What do you think are like two or three things that will, will make someone successful on LinkedIn when they get started? I know there's like a bunch, but like, what, like yeah. if you were to nail it down into like, two to three tips that you would give someone right now, like what would you give them?
0: My first tip is to understand the outcome of what you want your audience to actually have happened to them. So when someone reads your content, like what's the outcome you want? Do you want them to get, what do you want them to get better at specifically? And so when you're writing with an outcome in mind, it always brings you back to your audience. You start sharing things that are specifically helpful and help your audience solve a very specific problem. I think that's number one is is having that outcome in mind. Number two is understanding writing from a copywriting perspective. And like I think Matt Kobach and David Perel and a lot of these really good guys who are good at writing talk a lot about really, and you know, Dave Gerhardt talks about this in his in his group, like getting people from one line to the next, right? Trying to get people through the content. I think about it slightly differently. But what I always try and say is be cognizant of scrolling because we're all just scrolling on our phones all day long. So even if you have the most meaningful, useful, step by step actionable content you've ever written, if you can't get people to stop scrolling, it's never going to be read. So once you have your outcome and once you understand copywriting, and I would read books on that, there's tons of great copywriting books. The last thing is to figure out how to stop that scroll pattern. So I use a pretty simple, hook right before the read more which i do a lot and is probably you know getting old but you know i introduce a couple of lines and right before the see more button i say something enticing that hopefully gets the reader to say i want to know what else is inside of this content below the read more button click that read more and now they are essentially on the hook for reading the rest of the content and so those are three things that i often advocate that that people do and if i had to add one more i would say if you know your outcome If you study copywriting, if you can get people to stop their scroll, the last thing people are going to do is they're going to go look at who you are. And so when someone lands on your LinkedIn profile, make it appealing. It's a sales page for lack of a better description. It's your sales page and you're going to take them from the top of your page down through your about section. So have a good flow, study landing pages, read Harry Dry's marketing examples. You know, he just wrote a really great piece of content about how to design a landing page. Translate that over to your LinkedIn profile and you've got a really great page where people are going to start following you.
1: I like that you give that advice because like a lot of people will say a little differently, but I think like usually when people like tell me that they do like, Oh, I'm posting consistently and I'm doing the commenting and I'm doing the, like, like the, the connecting with people. Like the, the thing that I see that they're doing wrong is like, they're not creating like attention grabbing and enticing content. Like that's Mm -hmm. the reason why they're not growing. Like it's simple as that. Like their content is not good. I mean, it could be good. The, the idea of it is good. Yeah, the way that they write it, like I can't understand like what they're trying to convey. Like unless I have to break it down myself, and I don't have an extra like twenty seconds to do that because I want exactly. to get more content. Um, exactly. It's not like hey, I'm going to spend
0: an extra minute trying to decipher what this says. It's I actually broke this down where I took a couple of my posts side by side that literally look exactly the same from top to bottom and get wildly different engagement. And when you break it down, one's boring and the other one is more enticing. It's as simple as, you know, trying to put something interesting to hook people in. Just like in a podcast, you want to try and get someone hooked in in the first, I don't know, I don't host podcasts. I don't know the, the number of seconds or minutes, but I'm assuming in a podcast, you have limited time to hook a user in. Or a listener in, so you probably say something interesting or enticing in the opening, would be my guess. That's kind of like like writing.
1: I mean, they tell people for podcasts, and I just started doing this too, but like teaser clip, like have like a teaser, and they do you see this in good videos too. Like someone might take like a clip from like the middle of like the video and put it in the front that has nothing to do like with the next line, but it just like it has something to do with what the context of the thing is, but it's like the best part that people want to listen to more and then they go into it the whole conversation Then they have to wait to get to that part of the story yeah. um so yeah, i mean that's kind like of how content movie. is too i mean content's like that too it's like you put something in the front like oh i want to really listen like hear about this and then you get down to like the middle of the part and it's like okay there's like the juicy part and then you kind of create like a conversation at the end, which the call to action is like, I like to say like, it's more like a call to conversation. Like it's like, sometimes it's a call to action. And sometimes it's a call to conversation. Like some posts you're trying to get someone to buy a course or go to your newsletter or whatever. But there's also like social media. I consider every post in social media, like it's own little networking event. Like, so you can, if you treat it like that, like, every post is a chance for you to get in front of a couple new people and talk to new people.
0: That's, I, I love that. How you, how you phrase that. I, um, I always think when I write content that the worst thing a person could do is have to go back up and reread it in order to participate in the comments. So what I try and do is at the end, I try and summarize in one or two sentences, what I just said above that people can immediately start playing in the comments without having to go back and reread it. Because I have this theory or hypothesis that there's a conversion drop-off if people have to go back to think of something interesting or unique to add to the conversation.
1: There is. I mean, for me, when I want to like contribute to a conversation, I don't if I don't I have to like re-digest like the whole content again. Like I'm like, uh, I'd rather not give my opinion here. Like I'll just keep scrolling, even though I enjoyed the post. Like there's yeah. like a a good point. I want to know like yeah. One thing, like how do you like, I know you've said a little bit about like comments, but like what else do you do to like actively listen to like what your audience wants? Like, and like how to, and then take that. And the next part of the question is more like you took that and made a product. Like how did you take that and write content and how do you take that to like as product feedback as well?
0: Yeah. I I would say that in my process, that's probably where I do the forest job would would be the honest truth is a lot of people are like validate, you know, get your audience into a group, take surveys. And like at my price point, I just don't. I time box everything to 14 or 30 days. I make some assumptions and I create a piece of content that I think is valuable or a course that I think is valuable. What happens is over the course of that course's lifetime or that product's lifetime, I get a ton of feedback. From students unsolicited, right? So they'll they'll send me feedback, loved this part, wish this part taught me this. And I just keep that on a document in Google Drive with all the requests from all the different people. And so one thing I want to do is actually re-record the LinkedIn playbook in release 2.0 with all of the different things that people asked me on a regular basis that were common asks that weren't included in the first one. So I don't do a great job up front of surveying my audience, mostly because it's not what I do for a living. And it's also at a price point where I can't spend an exorbitant amount of of time treating it like a a high dollar product. But I definitely want to use that feedback from my audience in future versions of those courses. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Outside of that, one other thing that I did with my most recent course is I built it in public. I shared all the amount of hours I was spending, what I was doing, all the documentation. People could go in and watch me do it live. And I got a ton of feedback from folks that were watching me build the agenda. And that really helped me kind of manicure the course over time. Started with like 41 modules. By the time I was done, it was down to 23 that were really focused. And so building in public is another great way to get feedback from your audience without you know, technically surveying them.
1: I mean, I, I, that's a great way as well, because there's some like people like Nick Sharma, who's an e-commerce guy, like he builds kind of like a product page for products to get kind of feedback and then like it's cheap like they get feedback on like a product page and then they build the product even bigger so it's like you're kind of what you're doing is like driving traffic to like a like a pretty affordable product and then getting feedback from the affordable product because it's like basically why not like that's i mean that's a good way to do it too it's like you kind of got to a motion where you know what people want to hear about like LinkedIn and you know the subject matter and people will find you now because you have that name. But so now you're like taking what you know and driving them and then you're getting extra feedback, which is like invaluable on like a product where people want to learn about this stuff. So then you can even dive deeper, which I think is a smart way too. Like a lot of e-commerce brands do that as well. Like they they have like a super like basic landing page where they like, they give the concept and get people's like opinions from it
0: yeah the way that i think about it is because it's so low cost i'm actually getting paid for people to take a risk which is you know even at 50 bucks is a risk for for people they take a risk they but it's a it's in a small enough jump for them the 50 bucks where they can get in Watch the content and then provide me with feedback, and so it's great. Now I can go out and build the linkedin playbook 2.0 and and instead of you know spending a long time and, and not earning any income, putting a lot of time into it, I was able to earn some income while also collecting feedback and then turn that into a secondary product. so that's my hope
1: I, I like that a lot. Um, the last question I have for you is like, what is most people doing wrong with like personal branding today like like even like the people who I'm including like everybody who's like building a personal brand, like even the good ones. Like what do you think a lot of people are doing wrong?
0: Yeah, I don't, I think it's not wrong. I think it's more, it's subjective. So I'll, I'll tell you how I think about it. I'm just kind of like, I'm bored with success and like this, this not, not personal success. I didn't mean it that way. I, I'm bored with like this facade of everyone being successful. And when you go and you read content creators, everything is how good something is, how great life is going, and the truth of the matter is, right now, a lot of, a lot of people's lives suck. We're in the middle of a pandemic, we're in the middle of winter storms, a lot of people are suffering in this like look at my successful, like look at my success all the time. I don't know, it just rubs me the wrong way. And I would much rather be transparent with, you know, things I think I'm doing well, things I'm definitely struggling with when I have mental health challenges, when I'm not feeling as successful as I used to feel some of the struggles that I'm going through. Like, I just think that's a much better read in the context of our time than that sort of Instagram influencer vibe. When I see that on LinkedIn, I don't know. I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel appropriate given the times if that makes sense
1: yeah i think that comes down to like the the theme like empathy and like understanding what's going on in the world as well as like like i always say like there needs to be like more content of failure like i try to incorporate sometimes like hey just so you know like marketing's a lot of grunt work like It is not that pretty. The result could be pretty, but the the stuff like behind the scenes is not that fun all the time. Like, so, like, all the, this is how, that's why, like, it's, it's hard for me on Clubhouse right now because there's too many of these, like, success stories on there. And it's like everybody feels successful in there when, like, you know, that not everybody's successful. So it's like hard for me to go into these rooms because I hear all these people, like, gloating about their success. And I'm like, Nobody's telling me about like their failure story or like how they got there. It's more like, oh, I'm generating $50 million in revenue, and I have this, and I have that.
0: Um, yeah. It's it, like just this morning, right? I, I spent the last week writing my longest piece of long-form content that I was really proud of. And I spent a tremendous amount of time writing it, and I put it into my ghost newsletter today. I, my, I use ghost to send my, my stuff. And I screwed around with the email settings and I got flagged as spam. And I sent it to my 4,100 email subscribers and I got a 2% open rate because I got flagged as spam. And like after spending a huge week, I was so distraught this morning. And like, I'll probably share that tomorrow, that story, right? And like, there are times when I write something that I think is so good and I think is so meaningful and powerful and I put it on LinkedIn, and it bombs, right? And that feels crappy. And there's other times where like I wake up late and I grab my phone and I put something together and it goes, you know, haywire. And it's like, I don't know, it's writing on, writing on social media is a game of human emotions. Like anyone who tries to act like they're, you know, they're not swayed by the emotion of of success and failure on social media, I think is, is not being truthful.
1: Yep. I think that's like success in general. Like you want to see like results, like you don't want to always see like these like moments of like failure of like where you try so hard. And it's like, it's like, I always like go back to sports, like, cause I played football. It's like, you could spend like nine months preparing for like a 12 game season. And it's like, you can lose three games in a row. And it's like, I spent nine months to do this. Like, it's just it's the worst feeling in the world. What can you do? Like,
0: people often say like, I want to write on LinkedIn, but I'm afraid that I'm someone's going to say something nasty to me. And like, they're like, you've been writing on LinkedIn for a long time, so it probably doesn't hurt your feelings. Of course, it does. I'm a human being. When people say shitty things to you, I don't know if I can swear, sorry, but when people say uh, nasty things to you online, it doesn't matter how long you've been writing online, still feels really crappy. And so, like, I always tell people, get prepared for that. And if you want to handle it really well, just have a itchy block finger. And keep your ecosystem tight and positive. And uh, you know, even the people who have been writing every day for years still still feel those things. You know, you gotta you gotta step out of your comfort zone and and curate a positive ecosystem. And if you can do that, you can you can be really successful.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same exact way. Like as much as I, it doesn't affect me as much as it used to. Like sure. like there's still like moments where like people like respond to like negatively to something or they will say something or they they call you out on something where you're not trying to do something and it's like ah, oh, goodness it's it's hard but i want to end the podcast with leaving you some time to where they people could f- find your courses and where they could find you because i think like people will find value if they want to dig deeper into this linkedin personal branding
0: Totally. If they want to find my courses, they can go to my personal website. It's just justinwelsh.me. And Welsh is W-E-L-S-H. So justinwelsh.me. And they can click on digital courses. And if they want to reach me via email, they can email me at justinwelsh at hey.com, or they can find me on Twitter at Justin Sass, Justin s a a s.
1: Cool. Thank you so much for coming on. This was really valuable and I'm excited for the audience to listen to it. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: It's great to uh, great to finally connect. Well, thank you.